The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women in Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy McCarthy. This week's guests include Cork LGFA senior all-star Eric O'Shea joins me to talk through her decision to leave home and become the youngest Irish AFLW professional player in Australia. We're also joined by Mornabi and Cork senior captain Mara Callan to preview her county's Munster Senior Championship semi-final against Waterford. Cork under-14 manager JJ DC is also on the podcast to review qualifying for this year's All-Ireland final. Big Red Bench Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie is back for another Formula 1 weekly segment to review the Miami Grand Prix. The Address UCC Glanmire head coach Mark Scannell joins me on the Big Red Bench to talk about his delight at being announced as 2022 Basketball Ireland Coach of the Year. Cork Camogie senior manager Matthew Toomey previews this weekend's Munster Camogie final against Clare. Under-16 manager Donny Daly talks to me about his panel's Munster title success. And we'll also hear from Cork minor manager Jerry Wallace following his team's provincial Munster Camogie final victory. That's all to come on this week's Women in Sport podcast. On this week's podcast, we're joined by All-Star and Cork LGFA senior footballer Erica O'Shea to discuss the 19-year-old's decision to move to Australia and become a professional AFLW Aussie Rules player. News that Erica has decided to take the plunge and head to Australia for next season's AFLW is a big blow to Cork's chances of winning this year's All-Ireland senior title. Yet, the instantly likeable and determined 19-year-old could not pass up the opportunity of a lifetime. On the big red bench this week, I am absolutely delighted to be joined by an All-Star, a Cork senior footballer and an AFLW-bound new Australian rules player. And that is the one and only Eric O'Shea. Erica, you're very welcome back to the big red bench. Thank you so much, sir. It's always nice to talk to you, so we're very excited for today. Yes, it is very nice to talk to you as well, but we're talking in very different circumstances. We're not looking ahead <laughs> to Cork versus Waterford in the Munster semi-final. Instead, we're talking about your decision uh, to take the jump and the leap and to go to Australia and play in the AFLW as a professional Aussie Rules footballer. Now, there's a lot to unpack here, but I suppose, look, the first thing, um, it's a it's a big decision for anybody to make, but you've made the decision, but... When did you finally, in your own mind, make the decision that this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, since it was up until the wire, I'd say, about two weeks ago, I'm going to say, I I was so torn between staying with Cork and going out being the youngest AFLW player from Ireland. And I was, it was something I thought I couldn't pass up after thinking about it for so long. And I was devastated to leave Cork. Like, it was a really hard decision for me. But I was so lucky that Shane and the girls were so supportive. Like Shane is like, uh, he had more of a dad mindset towards it. He was just really supportive and he was looking out for me. And he completely me, helped me as like a person and put the football aside. So I was really lucky I had Shane. I just I sat down with my parents and I was talking to them and we all sat together. And it was obviously a tough decision for them too because I'm so young. But like it fits in with college and there's so many things that came to mind that we, we talked about everything and I'm doing online college with UL and I'm just going to keep my degree up and I'm going to play professional sports hopefully How are mummy and daddy say, uh, I, I, and I don't say that kind of half lightly we do have a bit of a chuckle about it but how are your mother and father with the news because look you, you've been around for your own place like for the last 19 years like, and it's one thing to go off to college but to go off to the other side of the world for your parents it's it's, it's not it. obviously they're delighted far deep down but they're obviously uh, as any parent, they're concerned too. Yeah, no, my parents, and um, they're both very supportive. I'm actually lucky my father is going to come out with me for the first six weeks. 
so he's going to settle me down in Australia and make sure I'm like, perfect out there and I'm settled. So I'm really lucky that my dad's able to come out with me so we can enjoy that experience together. And my mom is going to be devastated. She's going to be at home. But she'll be watching and supporting the whole time and she's going to come out and visit as well, hopefully. It's a very tough decision for them to make, though. Like even my mom said this morning, she wakes up in a panic <laughs> thinking I'm going and it's just motherly instinct because I'm the youngest as well in my family. So it's just the thought of me going now has shook her as well. But if you know it's going to be the right decision down the line, hopefully, and she she's there to support me along the way. So it's tough as her to take, but I think she's happier after. Um, you don't lack for confidence, and you never have, Erica, from any of the conversations we've had. And I know how difficult breaking in underage into the underage section of Cork LGFA. You nearly walked away from it, but you went back and stuck at it, and then you became a fantastic player up through the ranks. And now you're an all-star at senior level and one of Cork's most consistent players in the National League these past couple of months. You're confident, you're very, very good at what you do, but you're also smart enough to realise you're heading over to a brand new sport where you've got to get into the gym, where you've got to learn the basics. How much of a challenge is that going to be for you? It's going to be a huge challenge, sure. Like I'm not even going to lie. I know it's going to be difficult. It's going to be nice. I'm going to come home and I'll be crying because I'm going to be wrecked, tired, and my family will obviously be back home. But it's something that I want to do and I want to push myself to the limit. And I know like, I've looked up to all these amazing athletes like Katie Taylor or Daniel Sullivan and they all have to leave Ireland to become one of the best at their sport. And they know that and they did that and they obviously succeeded. So it's just something that I feel like has to be done if you wanted to excel that bit further. And it's something that I just really want to do. So yeah, I'm going to give it a go anyway. Give it a go is right. Um, Mike Curran of AFLW Ireland is a regular on the Women in Sport podcast with me throughout this season when we analysed and reviewed and looked at what was happening uh, in AFLW over in Australia and to all the Irish players that were there. How much of an influence and a help has he been in particular over the last couple of weeks and months? Oh, Mike has been unbelievable. I could I could never say like, Mike didn't help me along the way. He was outstanding. He did everything for me. He organised my meetings. He he did interviews with me and he made sure I was okay before the meeting to settle me down and oh, I could never speak highly enough of Mike. He's he's just great for all the Irish girls that are going over. He's a great help and without him I don't think it would have been possible for so many girls to go over. He really, really is a gem, especially for um, athletes going heading over to Australia. What are you most looking forward to ahead of this? Because like it's an adventure and let's it should be treated as an adventure. You're so young, but you're going to be a professional athlete at a very young age. You are more than capable of, of applying yourself to anything you, you want to do. I know that from, from interviewing you and knowing you. But from your own point of view, what's the thing that excites you the most about this? Is, is it the fact that you're going to be a professional uh, training week in, week out, playing matches at the weekend? Or is it are you looking forward to experiencing the lifestyle? I'm trying to put the lifestyle on a hold when I go over there. I know, I know it's going to be hard but it's obviously Australia and it's going to be amazing. But I'm there for sports and I know that. And I, I just really want to push myself to be the best athlete I can be. And I want to go over and I just want to go with the mindset that I'm here for sports and just focus on that. And hopefully I can improve as a player. And I'm just really excited to learn the new sport as well. Like it's something that I love to do. I love playing new sports. I love trying all sports. And the fact that you get paid for something like that now is just amazing. And I'm really looking forward to that. So the lifestyle is a plus. But I'm going to keep that in the down low. I say, <laughs> I focus on the sports. 
I love that. Keep that on the down low. Yeah, right. No, I mean, I, I, I know what you mean. I mean, this is such a big step. You're going to be straight into the gym and obviously whatever franchise you end up signing for um, are going to work with you from the day you land until the day of the first game of the season. And that's going to be a very, very important time frame for you, Erica, because getting getting into the actual, getting the basics, getting into the rhythms of being a professional athlete in a brand new sport, you know, you're going to have to give yourself time. Yeah, definitely. And like, even what you said about the underage, like, I feel like all these things are just like, like, even failures that you're going to have, I think that doesn't define you. And that's something I always stand by. And my dad and my mother always said to me, too, going off that these setbacks will obviously improve you as a person and they make you toughen up a bit. <laughs> and you'll be able to take the criticism and all that stuff and park it to the side and just focus on your sport and go further. Like, you're never going to make anyone happy all the time. So, it's just a matter of putting yourself first and focusing on you as a person. Of the Irish players that you know that are out there, the Sarah Rose, the Breed Stacks, uh, the Cora Stauntons, and especially the Orla Dwyers has had such a fantastic season this year, the, the Tipperary star. Um, I mean, obviously you watch, you've been watching AFLW, you've seen these these players in action, you've seen what they've put themselves through. I mean, I mean, obviously they're an inspiration, but it must be kind of reassuring to see young Irish female athletes going out there and same as yourself, leaving an amateur sport and adapting to a professional environment and actually making a success of it. That's got to kind of give you a lot of encouragement, I'd imagine. Oh, 100%. Seeing the success that even Orla Dwyer had this year and it's just amazing to see that she came from, let's say, Tipperary and made it such a big name for herself out of her sport and she took up this sport not knowing it either. It's just amazing how people adapted over time. So like, when you see like athletes like her doing so well it's just it's just amazing to see and it makes me want to drive on there and try maybe something along those lines hopefully in the future yes and look time is short because as soon as you as soon as you, you sign a contract with whatever franchise you decide to, to sign with as soon as you get on the plane you're over there it's great that your dad's going to be with you it'll be a great support in the first couple of weeks but once you've settled in and once you don't once you get used to being uh, an AFLW player and a full-time professional player, there's so much to look forward to here, Erica. I mean, a lot of people are obviously concerned and disappointed they're going to miss you uh, from the football setup as well as family. But for your own point of view, it's clear that this is something you've made your mind up on. It's something you want to do and something you want to be a success at. But I would imagine also you need to give yourself time as well. It isn't going to happen overnight and it might even take a season or two. Oh, yeah, 100%. I know it's because I'm so young as well. I'm thinking of just focusing on the physicality side of it, like when I go over, so I can focus on getting stronger and bigger. Because I know I'm going to be one of the youngest on the team. I do go to, and I just need to strengthen up a bit. I feel like, and the season or two that is going to help me hopefully. And then by the time another year comes, hopefully I'll be stronger and I'll be getting more games. And yeah, so the moment I'm just going to focus on trying to build myself up so I don't get too injured. <laughs> No, I don't think that's going to happen at all. And look, just finally, um, obviously you're, a lot of excitement, a lot of trepidation too, once you know who you're signing for, once you're over there, and once you're into the throes of it, you know, time is going to go very fast because the season in the FLW season has changed now when it starts and when it ends. But there may well be a couple of other Irish players. Vicky Wall has been earmarked as another player from County Mead, a player I know you know well from uh, playing against her, um, is, is on her way out there. There may even be more, like, when you take a step back, this is a real opportunity for Irish footballers and female athletes and camogie players, an opportunity to be a professional. And granted, it's on the other side of the world, but it's great to see it. It's disappointing from a car point of view, losing a player like you, obviously, but it's great to see players like yourself getting these opportunities. And I'd imagine it's something you'd be encouraging anyone who's even thinking about it to give it some serious thought. 
Definitely, because even when you're going up and training, I went down to home training so many times and I would have never, ever thought I was going to be going to Australia at 19 saying, as you were, like, it's just something that you think sport, like, it's obviously great, but you never think of getting football as being an amateur sport, being able to make a career out of it. And it's just, it's just such a good opportunity that way to expand and push yourself further. And obviously, of course, it was a big decision to leave and I am very upset to leave them and I'm just devastated. But I know they're really talented bunch, so I hope they go fair this year. And with such a good manager this year, I know they will. Look, um, on behalf of everybody uh, on the Big Red Bench sport team and in Cork Shred FM and Cork supporters everywhere, we genuinely wish you the very best of luck with all of this. It's an adventure, as I said, and nobody deserves it more than yourself for the time and the effort that you've put in over the last number of years, not just these last couple of years. Best of luck with it and uh, let's keep in touch and maybe we might make uh, contact for Red FM when you're over in Australia and settle in and uh, once your dad's, uh, when your dad hasn't become an agent himself and we might have a good chat again. Thank you so much for talking to me as well today. I really enjoyed it and um, I'll definitely keep you updated when I'm over there. I'll keep you in, in the loop the whole time. Good stuff, Erica. All the best. Thanks for the The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. Cork LGFA Under-14 Manager JJ DC joins me on this week's podcast to review the Rebels' qualification for this year's All-Ireland Under-14 Platinum Series Final. And it should be an absolute classic against Kerry in Cork. But first, Mornabi and Cork Senior Captain Mauro O'Callaghan is on this week's Big Red Bench to look ahead to Sunday's Munster Senior Football Championship Semi-Final away to Waterford in Fraherfield. A place in the Munster Final against Kerry is an offer for the winners. Joined on the line now by the Cork senior captain from Moran Abbey, Mara O'Callaghan, ahead of the Rebels' trip to Waterford to take on the data in the uh, Munster senior semi-final championship game this coming weekend. Mara, you're very welcome to the Big Red Bench. Thanks for having me, Gareth. Always good to talk to you. Um, we have spoken to your Cork senior manager recently, Shane Ronan. He was telling us that preparations have been going really well. If Shane Ronan says that, that tells me two things, that they are going well and that it's been pretty intense, I would imagine. Uh, is that a fair comment? Yeah, I think that's a pretty accurate representation of how we've got on. So we've had a good six weeks getting out without a game. So while it's been tough, it's, it's been great to get the time together to really get the preparation going. And um, I think we're all rearing for old for a match now. So um, all, all full females. Um, the fact that you've been together as a squad now for that length of time, um, you were coming out of a, a league campaign that didn't go the way you would have liked, but you finished off on a high with a win over Watford down in, MT, uh, in MTU. Um, th- this is the time of the year when the serious work is done, more, as you well know from your, from your experience, but um, how much has the squad gelled in that time period? Yeah, really well. Like, I mean, I think we could have no complaints about how our preparation has gone, you know, like while it is really nice to have games, you know, all this time together has been pretty priceless as well. Um, so it has really helped our preparation. Um, so we can't have any complaints now it's been going and we are dealing well and it has been really intense six weeks. But I, like, as you said, that's really what the team needs from this time of year. You know, you want to time it so that you're, you're motoring well when like the important games are, I suppose. Um, the, there's quite a few of you from the Morn Abbey uh, team. I think it's eight or nine and all. Ellie Jack and uh, Laura Fitzgerald coming back in as well. You must be delighted for Laura on the back of such a fantastic club and Munster and All-Ireland Championship season for Morn Abbey. Yeah, 100%. Like It's it's great to have Laura involved. Um, she was involved a couple of years ago as well. 
and you know she really did have such a fantastic campaign at Moran Abbey and she's just working so hard now so it's really great to see her involved and those shooting boots she has like she's a huge she would be a, an unreal addition to any county setup so it's really great to have her involved. Um, let's talk about the opponents uh, coming up this weekend in the Munster uh, semi-final and that's Waterford. Now you would have seen them firsthand yourself down in MTU in the final league game. They were fighting for their lives to avoid relegation uh, uh, relegation battle which they ended up playing against Westmead. But that day, Maura showed everybody who knows anything about ladies football that this Waterford set up over the last couple of years has gotten better and better. This is going to be an extremely tough game for Cork, especially in Waterford. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Waterford are really consistent team as it is. Like, we on always have really tough battles with them. Like, even, I know it's strange that our last competitive game was against them also, you know, in the league, as you said. But even last year in Party Weave, like, it was such a tough game against them. Uh, I, I can't remember what stage it was, but, geez, we were lucky to come out of there. So, like, they are, we're under no illusions that they're a really strong side and that it's going to be by no means an easy task. And especially, as you said, down in Waterford, you know, they'll have a huge support with them as well so that would be really important for them also and they're just really facing the guys back in droves so it'll be really hard to break down that defence that they have also There's nothing like a game though to bring a panel on and Waterford would say the exact same, that block of training that you've just gone through is going to be hugely beneficial for you once the All-Ireland Championship starts but I would imagine more again from your experience at club and inter-county you know, a full 60 minutes intense Munster Championship game like that is going to be a huge benefit and bonus to Cork yeah, 100%. I mean, like, championship football is a different gravy altogether. Even you have to account for the nerves that players would have coming into a game like that, especially with a long layoff like this. You know, it'll feel like we haven't played, an, you know, a really important game in a long time. So even those nerves, like, you'd be, have butterflies and they can nearly be a bit straining themselves. So 100%, like, the training we've done has been great and it's setting us up nicely, but it is different than coming into an actual game. You know, it, it'll be a different experience. Um, a lot of, uh, like the, the panel has been announced now for the Munster and All-Ireland Championship was announced earlier in the week. Um, one of the names that isn't on that panel though is McCroom's Erica O'Shea. She's heading off to Australia to play um, Aussie Rules and hopefully sign for a franchise over there. I would imagine Mara as the captain that it's a big loss in terms of the dressing room, in terms of an All-Star leaving the Cork setup. So that's hugely disappointing. But also for a young player, an opportunity to play professionally in a different sport at the other side of the world, you, you, you and your teammates will be wishing her all the best. Yeah, 100%. I mean, Erica is a fantastic player and as you said, she is a huge loss. But, like, we wish her nothing but the best of luck on her trip over there and same professional sports. Like, you couldn't begrudge anyone taking that opportunity to play and to get a chance to play professionally over in Australia. So, it's really exciting for her and to see, I'm sure she'll absolutely fly it over there. She's such a strong athlete, but we will miss her definitely in the front dressing room. I asked your inter-county manager and Mornabby manager Shane Renan the same question Maura as car captain do you see like Erica's move and Vicky Wall's inten- uh, proposed move as well a lot more you know inter-county players making the decision to go and try this out in the coming years Yeah like you can see why it's an, uh, an attractive option I suppose like as do you think we're, we're training so hard over here it'd be would, like there's no option to play professionally and then you know people wanting that experience playing for professionally and then Obviously, Australia is a very attractive country to move to. You know, there's a lot of possibly relatives over there and things like that. But I think it'll be also interesting to see with the change in the structure of the fixtures in the AFL, how that will affect the attractiveness for, you know, inter-county players coming from Ireland. 
So I think it's interesting to see. I think it's, it's you can see the draw, but I don't know how that will affect people's intent to go over there also with the change in that structure. Yeah, you're right. It's going to be interesting over the next couple of years because um, the, the number of franchises is only going to increase in Australia if the popularity of it increases, and it will. We will see what that means for the intercounty scene here in Ireland. Finally, as car captain, the week leading up to the big match, it's the first big match now of the summer period. What we hope will be a long and successful one for Cork. Um, is is it more of the same, Mara, heading into this week for you and the players? You know, just getting your heads down and getting everything right ahead of the Waterford game. Yeah, I think 100%. You're trying not to be thinking about it too much. Well, for me, anyway, personally, I can't speak on behalf of the rest. I think it's one foot in front of the other until the weekend. You know, you're nearly wishing the week away because it's always a bit of a drag coming up to the match that you're looking forward to. That. So we're just trying to do the usuals right and hope that the game day comes around quickly. Indeed. Uh, well, listen, on behalf of everybody on the Big Red Bench, we wish you, uh, your teammates, your management team and all the supporters who travel to Waterford all the best in Cork's uh, Munster Senior Semi-Final Championship Clash with Waterford this weekend down in Waterford. And uh, Maura Callan, thanks very, very much for joining us here on the Big Red Bench. Thanks, sir. The Cork Under-14s are through to this year's All-Ireland LGFA Under-14 Platinum Final. And in that final, they will meet none other than Arch Munster rivals Kerry. But to get to that final, uh, Cork had to overcome down this past weekend. And they did that in Rath League in County Leash on a scoreline of 6-9 to 1-7. And we're delighted to be joined now on the line once again by the Cork Under-14A manager, JJDC. JJ, congratulations on reaching the final. Thanks, Joe. Thanks very much. Um, the scoreline suggests, uh, you know, that it was pretty one-way traffic, but I don't think that was the case. No, no, it was um, uh, two points between us at half time. Now we were playing into um, a pretty stiff breeze, um, but uh, which was close enough in the first half. But uh, the elements uh, suited us in the second half, um, so we were able to we were able to use them to our advantage, and we and we pushed on, uh, and um, we. We, we, as I say, we forced down to to come out in, and we and we got a, I think we got about three or four goals on the break. So, you know, we, the the elements worked to our advantage. Um, how much did the 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 format of the under fourteen platinum series? I should also just re- reiterate for people who don't, who don't, who listen to us here in the podcast. It's the top tier, it's the top ranked of all the under fourteen, and there's so many teams and counties that play under fourteen. Corker in the top tier, but. JJ, how much did the format of the Blitz format, the earlier rounds, the series, where you got to play different teams, how much did that help you going up against Stone? It did. It we played down already um, in, in, in that um, Blitz. So we, we knew we were there, thereabouts. It was, I think we were four points ahead of them on that occasion. Now, conditions allowed for much better football to be played that day. And down are, are, are a very nice football football squad. Um the format, um, the format is, is, is that we have, you have to play five, um, substitutes and all five have to get a minimum of, uh, 20 minutes on the pitch. So, um, you know, we, we, we set up for that. We, we, we tell the girls beforehand that, uh, you know, we have to make substitutions. It doesn't matter whether you're, what way you're playing. We have to make those substitutions. And in fairness to them, they've bought into that and there's no, there's no drama about it at all. We just get on with it and we, we make our changes and, and um, you know, we've a, we've a good, strong panel. So 
it suits us that way as well, you know. And JJ, having come through a pretty rigorous test all the way through, not just the Munster Championship and just into the All-Ireland Series itself, you get to the All-Ireland Final and you, you, you meet nobody else, who else but Kerry. Um, and both Cork and Kerry agreed to a toss for the home venue, which you won. And so that means that the All-Ireland Under-14 Platinum Final between Cork and Kerry will take place in Cork on Saturday, May the 21st, with the venue yet to be decided. But I think uh, before, I, well, obviously congratulations on winning the toss, but... Uh, in fairness to you and, and, to, and to Kerry, it's a sensible decision to do that because it gives a chance for parents and a bit more, a few more supporters to, to not to have to travel so far for an All-Ireland final. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. It, um, you know, it's the, it's the biggest occasion these girls have, um, on both sides have, um, have ever had. You know, it's an All-Ireland final and, um, you know, we'd like to get the, the parents and the families there and we'd like to get the, the clubs behind them and, and um, the clubs that the girls are representing to come out in numbers and support them on, on, on Saturday week because it's um, it's a fabulous occasion it's, it, it, it has the makings of a great game um, two very evenly matched sides so it has the makings of a, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a great day JJ it's a long time since we first spoke at the very very beginning of the process of going through the trials just to get to your final panel to have reached an all-earned final and to have had success along the way you must be delighted with the players' progress. Yeah, we're 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 thrilled. Um, um, you know, we've we've um, we've we've thirty girls in our panel, and, and each one of them, you know, is 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 in the right place. Um, they all deserve to be on that on that A squad, and um, you know, they they've all worked very hard. They've great attitude, and then um, you know they've been improving as, over the last couple of months. So you know, we we have we have no complaints whatsoever. We, we couldn't have. And an All-Ireland final to finish it all off and to look forward to, which is a fantastic finale. Obviously, we're going to talk a little bit more closer to the match itself. But for now, um, it's great news for Cork underage football. It's fantastic news for yourself and your, and your management team, JJ. And everybody here on the Big Red Bench, congratulate you on reaching uh, an All-Ireland under-14 LGFA Platinum final. And uh, we look forward to being there on the day itself and seeing how that goes. Thanks, Joe. Hopefully we'll have a decent crowd at this. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. The Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie returns to review this past weekend's Miami Grand Prix including Red Bull's straight-line speed, Max Verstappen's bravery proving too much for Ferrari, Mercedes making improvements but still only managing to be best of the rest, and Mick Schumacher coming tantalisingly close to his first points finish. Now it's that time of the week again where we talk to our resident Big Red Bench Formula One expert Sarah McKenzie following the Miami Grand Prix to dissect what happened and what could have happened, what didn't happen. Uh, and it was a, a decent Grand Prix, uh, won by Max Verstappen, of course, if you don't know at this stage. Spoiler alert there, I suppose I should have said that. But before we talk to uh, about uh, that spoiler alert, let's welcome Sarah in. Sarah, how are you? Yeah, good. Um, not quite as jazzy as, as we expected it to mm. be over the weekend, but, you know, we'll, we'll go through it anyway. And there was definitely an interesting finish, at least, thanks to the safety car. Indeed, there was, and some interesting developments further down the field. But before we even do that, let's take a quick check on the uh, F1 Drivers Championship. And Char, again, I'm only doing this because Charles is there, is still there, just about <laughs> with two wins and four podiums for Ferrari and top with 104 points. But ominously and very quickly, coming right behind him at the moment is the Red Bull of Max Verstappen following his victories on 85 points. Then Sergio Perez uh, of Red Bull on 66, George Russell 
uh, of Mercedes on 59 and Carlos Sainz Jr., the other Ferrari, on 53. And in the constructors, it's looking a lot better as well for Red Bull. They've narrowed the gap to Ferrari at the top to six points, 157 for Ferrari, 151 for Red Bull. Mercedes somehow are in there uh, with 95 points. Thanks to two podiums. Uh, McLaren as well on 46 and Alfa Romeo up there uh, on 31 mm-hmm. and a war two for Alpine or Alpine, sorry, on 26 in sixth place. Good to see uh, hopefully a bit of consistency coming in there in the midfield as well. But we start with the Miami Grand Prix review, Sarah, and straight line speed and Max Verstappen bravery too much for Ferrari. Yeah, I mean, he he kind of just went first straight away. I think he had, Max Verstappen had a lot of reliability issues again earlier on in the weekend and essentially that meant that he didn't have as much running and as much data as he would have liked going into the race and as a result he kind of had no choice but to go full guns from the very beginning and within a couple of laps he had already stretched out a two-second lead over Charles de Care, you know yesterday and um he was he was impressive to be fair he kind of there was a small small cat and mouse at the end there with him and the care but I think he looked strong throughout um, did Leclerc make a couple of elementary errors again? I know one that I definitely saw, like he, he came into a corner a little bit too quickly. I know, I know there was a bit of pressure just right behind him as well, but he was obviously focusing on Verstappen in his first stint on those tyres. But again, it was kind of highlighted, you know, it was a non, shall I say, Formula One world champion kind of non-mistake that you'd see from a Formula One champion. And, and it's not the first time this season either, Sarah. No, it isn't. And, I, you know, we've chatted before about Max Verstappen making these kind of mistakes a couple of years ago. And I think that's just the way it is the, with these young drivers. They kind of have been waiting and waiting for their chance to be at the top. And then when they get there, they sort of realize how much is actually required to stay there. And I think that's the, the kind of phase that Charles Leclerc is going through at the moment. He just happens to be lucky enough that his car is you know, more than making up for the errors that he could be making. I think if he was in, I think if, I think if he was in a car that was closer in performance to a Mercedes or something like that, I think he would, you know, we maybe wouldn't be seeing the performance um, that we're seeing, but it's definitely, he's very reinvigorated by that Ferrari. And, uh, and I think he will over time make less and less of those mistakes, but he's going to have to cut them out pretty soon if he wants to, to get that championship. Or two for Carlos Sainz, um, a mm. decent race by his standards as well. And uh, he was under a lot of pressure from Sergio Perez in fourth, but a third place in a podium finish, considering, you know, how quick uh, Verstappen was off the start. Like, did Sainz play the perfect teammate here to Leclerc? So I think it, it was a better weekend for him overall, but he did he did have another crash during free practice on Friday, and then he was plagued by more bad luck during the race. Um you know, they had a long pit stop that that sort of pampered him. And it is worth mentioning as well that Perez was dealing with a power issue. He was dealing with a, an issue that he was kind of managing throughout the race. So I think it was an improvement for Sainz, but possibly the podium looked a little bit better than maybe his his um, actual performance was. No, that's a fair assessment, I think. Um, and just behind Mercedes, um, at the start mm. of the weekend, the, you know, I, I was watching the headlines and, and Twitter kind of came alive a little bit that <laughs> yeah. Mercedes found this magnificent uh, pace and where it had come from. But I think the fact that nothing was being said by the, either of the two drivers led me to believe that uh, that probably wasn't, uh, that, that was probably just a flash in the pan. But look, improvements. But as you said, uh, have you said to me um, that the, they're still Mercedes are best of the rest? And that's not really where they, they should be or where they want to be. 
No, 100%. It was a very confusing weekend for them because, like you say, I mean, George Russell was actually the fastest in free practice on Friday, which is just... But similarly, I saw that pop up and was very surprised um, by that headline. And, you know, they did they did bring further upgrades to the car. They had a lower uh, drag rear wing and a revised front wing as well. And I do think the higher tyre temperatures helped them too. Um, but, you know, at the same time, as soon as things cooled down, the performance really did slip back quite a bit. And they even said themselves, like, we really don't understand how we managed to flip flop so much in performance over the course of one weekend. So I think there's a lot of I think there's a lot of digging into into the data for them to do there and figure out how to maximize the things that are going well and minimize the problems that they're having before. Well, just on that, in terms of statistics, you present me with a really interesting one in that George Russell is the only driver to finish in the top five in every race so far this year. And that consistency, in fairness to him, in, in each of those races, consistency has been key. And, you know, is he, this, is he dare we say it against your favourite driver, but is this guy the, the guy to watch for the rest of the year? Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. I think he has, you know, struggled a bit less than Lewis for whatever reason. I think, you know, he was on fresher tyres also at the end of the race yesterday. So he did overtake Lewis, which made all the sense in the world from a team perspective. Um, I think he he did this at Williams too. He kind of consistently outperformed the car that he was in. And I think that's that's been the theme so far of his time at Mercedes. And, you know, fingers crossed he can keep it going because... Like you said, when he went through the constructors earlier and the, the driver's championship, he's not that far off considering the huge gulf that actually is there in performance between his car and the, the likes of the Ferraris and the Red Bulls. Yes, I think that, that again, that's very fair. Uh, we have to do our mandatory Lewis Hamilton segment of the week in honour of yourself <laughs> as I know how important a driver he is to you. Could I put it to you that um, his demeanour again after the race and like uh, when you're talking about Lewis Hamilton and the nose ring coming into it, that that's mm. the thing that people are talking about. I can understand why he'd be frustrated. Did we see any chink of light here, Sarah, from, from Hamilton? Was he consistent? Did he do his, I mean, obviously Hamilton, uh, uh, George Russell did a better job. That's, that's there in the yeah. results and in the times. But was he a little bit more consistent? I, I heard one back and forth between him and, and the team and he was questioning a few things. All right. And it doesn't seem like all is mm. well, but like a sixth place finish overall will, will, will surely do him good. Yeah, I think so. And yeah, I agree. He questioned strategy at the end of the race. He came up with the radio and said, strategy hasn't been kind to me. I think he feels he's had a couple of, you know, bad luck situations with strategy, particularly in relation to safety cars already this year. So that's probably a frustration that that keeps happening. Um, but overall, I actually thought he was a bit more positive. I know he likes being in the States, definitely. Um, and to be honest, I think he got a bit of a kick out of the jewellery situation. I think he just, it is ridiculous. And I think he kind of enjoyed, you know, airing that out for what it was. Um, and, you know, he, I think he, he did. He seemed there was a bit more pep in his step, I think. And hopefully that will that will continue. Yeah, I saw the picture of him with um, with Mr. Beckham and Tom Brady, who mm. I despise for, for Amer- purely American football reasons. And of course, Michael Jordan, who I adore um, yeah. and did growing up. I mean, that picture of the four of them there, like, I mean, apart from Beckham, um, it, that, it just shows, as you said there, I think the whole Hollywood lifestyle, and that maybe that's a bit too cliche, but the fact that he was in America, he did seem that little bit more into the, into the race. He seemed that little bit more relaxed until that outburst towards the end. But can I put it to you as, as somebody that has watched his, his career very closely and seen him, he's not in a car that's doing him any favours. 
um, and the upgrades, it sounds like on the grave point that they're going to be some way off, but maybe halfway through the season now, that's not confirmed before we see the Mercedes uh, break. But if the, if, if the upturn doesn't come, I mean, do you think that there's enough in him? If they do get it, let's be positive. Let's say he does get the parts. Let's say Mercedes gains that little bit of pace in the second half of the season, they can actually compete with the top two. Is there enough there for him to continue on next year? I mean, I know we're looking into a, gla- a crystal ball here now and I'm asking your opinion. And, you know, tetchiness aside from him, which he's been quite tetchy mm. this year, which is understandable. He's a winner. He's a multiple, mm. you know, former one world champion. But do you see him going beyond the season? I do, um, purely because he hates to lose. <laughs> and I think this year will be very painful for him. But I think as much as he hates to lose, he has enough belief in himself that he, you know, he wouldn't want to finish on that note. I think that would be really, really disappointing for him. I think he would still want to come back and take one. I think it would be one last shot at it next year. But I do think that he would be willing to do that um, if they were able to get the improvements. And he kind of made some more positive comments over the course of the weekend saying like, you know, we're, I'm, I'm in this with the team still. You know, it does. The harmony is slowly coming, but it is, it's slow. It also helps if you have a lot of sponsors and they're giving you a lot of money and maybe, and he, I'm purely cynical here um, yeah. and any Formula One driver would, but yeah, I do. I want to see him back in. I want to see him in a competitive car and I want to see him going mm-hmm. toe-to-toe with Verstappen just as much as you do, simply for the, the optics and for mm-hmm. what it would do for Formula One. And like, if Verstappen, and this is my crystal ball moment, Sarah, if Verstappen mm-hmm. races off into the distance here, what else is there for the rest of the season? Ferrari's renaissance, you know, notwithstanding, and maybe Mercedes finding their pace again, maybe Alpine and all of a sudden, you know, Haas finding pace and moving up the table. That's not really going to sell uh, Formula One to, to the United States and beyond. Drive, drive to Survive being renewed isn't even going to help it that much. They need a title battle and they need not just Leclerc up there, but they need, you know, the Formula One champion that is Lewis Hamilton as well. I mean, that's, I, I, I can see the Formula One bosses being a little worried by that. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, that's that's completely fair. You know, there's been there was actually weird scenarios in the past where former world championship drivers were brought back into Formula One to race in cars on a temporary basis because at the time there were no former winners on the grid. And it was seen by at the time, obviously, Bernie Eccleston and co as being a very bad sign if there were no former winners remaining in the sport. So, yeah, I think, you know, they do have to consider that you're obviously going to have Sebastian Vettel is going to be, you know, leaving soon. You have Fernando Alonso will probably do another year or two. Kimi Raikkonen is gone. I think there's, that is real consideration. You do kind of have to balance the promise of the younger drivers with, you know, the, those household names of those kind of more tenured drivers that have been there, done it. Um, they, you know, at the end of the day, they, they do bring the fans in. They certainly do. And the sponsorship, he said cynically once again, and the TV yes, money, and the to survive money from Netflix. <laughs> um, one thing I wanted to ask you, uh, one thing I noticed in the race, because the temperatures are so hot or were so hot in Miami, there was in there was instances where there was pit stops, where there was issues um, with changing tires. And I was fascinated yeah. by this because teams that are normally, you know, 2.5, 2.6 seconds, you're in, you're gone. It's fast. It, I, I'm always fascinated by that i might be the only person that is but i love watching the pit stops can you explain why um not not in depth but why when the temperatures are so hot why is that a problem in pit stops yeah i mean if you think about it the because of the speed that the pit stop has to happen the tools that these guys are using the pit crew are operating at 
extreme speed and with extreme power. And while that's great for getting the job done quickly, similar to a Formula One car, it also means that they can be quite sensitive. And the mechanics of the wheel at times, if it's going to get hot enough, you could end up with parts actually essentially like gluing together um, oh. and they just don't want to come out. Like Valtteri Bottas had the longest pit stop in Formula yeah. One history, which is like, you know, essentially went on for forever, um, you know, due to things getting jammed. And, you know, sometimes it's human error, but often it can be the conditions, um, you know, that do play a part in it. There can be a whole host of reasons, but essentially every every piece of machinery that comes into contact with the Formula One car is very sensitive. And as a result, you know, things really can turn on what might seem like the smallest thing. Um, and that's the, I suppose that's what kind of introduces the, the drama into it sometimes. It does. And it was good to see it. I mean, uh, it's not nice if you're the, the pit crew member who's, you know, the wheel nut is stuck and the, the whole world is looking at you. But I, I, I have a fierce respect for pit stop crews like that because they do Absolutely. really, they can decide, you know, every second count, as you know, um, when it comes to mm. pit stops. We talked last week, or you did very succinctly about Mick Schumacher. Um, and how his uh, potential, his seat might be, be in trouble. There was a lot of rumours and, and it, there's no smoke without fire. And he clearly mm-hmm. listened to the podcast because he went, uh, <laughs> I thought he was, he was tearing up through the track. He was held up for quite a bit, which wasn't his own mm-hmm. particular, his own fault until the end. Uh, but look, t- talk us through his race and then what you think this race means for him. Yeah, I th- he performed well all weekend and for some reason Kevin Magnussen was sort of off the pace. So I think that was a good opportunity for Mick to sort of show his talent. And he, like you say, he was doing relatively well. You know, he was due to finish in the points the first time ever. And he, unfortunately, he was painfully, painfully close to getting those first points. And he collided with Sebastian Vettel on lap 55 of 57. Now, essentially he slipped to the back of the grid because of that Vettel didn't even finish the race and it's really really unfortunate that it was Vettel that he crashed into because he's actually essentially his mentor like they have a very very close relationship and everyone knows that they're like very it's like a father and son situation almost and it was really just kind of unfortunate that that was who he crashed into he thought the corner was his Sebastian thought the corner was his uh, as is often the case with the drivers and unfortunately you know it did result in a bad a bad ending for for both of them I suppose at least Mick did finish but ultimately without the points that he could have gotten so close to yeah close but no cigar but it's going to be interesting to see uh, how Mick Schumacher's uh, season progresses from here obviously the next GP is Barcelona in two weeks time mm-hmm. and in between that there, I, the, I assume there's going to be quite a bit of testing or uh, limited testing or is there any testing uh, I'm actually not sure that's a yeah. that's a great question but they'll definitely the they can probably get some simulator work in you know the logistics of getting all the the bits and pieces from the US back to Europe is definitely no small feat so we'll see what they manage to get in before, before Barcelona we will indeed and we will talk about Barcelona uh, before that and we'll obviously be back again next week but uh, before we finish can you get if we were offering five stars as the maximum entertainment value for a Grand Prix what would you give Miami, considering, you know, Verstappen was so dominant and that there wasn't really an awful lot of action behind him. But out of five, what would you have given this one, Sarah? That's tough. I think I'd probably give it a three. I think the, you know, the crowd and, you know, the kind of, the pomp and ceremony, I think Mm. probably brought a bit to it. Um, 
I agree the there was a sort of lackluster two thirds and then you had the safety car there were people tweeting praying to the to the rain gods for for rain about halfway through so look we're supposed to be racing there for the next 10 years I think potentially you know it's a temporary track there's no reason why they couldn't make changes to it or whatever the case may be but probably like max three out of five for me. No, I think that's fair. I'd give it the same. I was I was thinking along the same lines. But look, um, hopefully Barcelona will be a little bit higher. There should be a bit more drama about that track because they all know it so well from their testing anyway at this stage. Listen, uh, Sarah, as ever, thanks very, very much for joining us. And where can people find your Formula One content? Yeah, so um, I think I mentioned this last week, but I have a, a new video out on the W Series. Um, they had their first race, two races in Miami at the weekend and Jamie Chadwick actually won both of them. So there is lots more info on the W Series there if people want to search my full name on YouTube, Sarah McKenzie. Excellent stuff. And we will talk about that W Series on next week's podcast as well and yes. uh, throughout the season and keep tabs on it because it looks fascinating. Sarah, as ever, thanks very much for your time and we'll talk to you again next week. Absolutely. Thanks so much. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Cork's Red FM. The Basketball Ireland Annual Awards take place in Dublin on Saturday night, where the address UCC Glanmire's Mark Scannell will receive the Coach of the Year Award. Scannell oversaw Glanmire's treble winning season, in which the Cork Club claimed a misquote.ie Women's National Super League title, Women's National Cup and the Champions Trophy. I caught up with the Coach of the Year to get his thoughts on what was a momentous season for Glanmire. Now, we're delighted here on the Big Red Bench to be joined by Basketball Ireland's Coach of the Year, and that is UCC, uh, sorry, the address UCC Glanmire's Mark Scannell, and it is a deserved award following a treble of uh, trophies, following a terrific season for the address UCC Glanmire. So, Mark, congratulations. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, uh, much appreciated. It was, uh, it was a lovely award to get it. You know, somebody has to get it every year, I suppose, and I, I was lucky enough to get it this year, but. Um, you know, it's a great tribute to the players. Um, you know, for the for the way that they've conducted themselves all year, and to to the backroom staff, really, to Ronan and Kenneth, and to all the people that help out in the in the club committee. You know, the people that help us with the national league team. Um, and it was a real team effort this year, and I'm delighted to um to accept the award on behalf of everybody in the club. Um, well, that, that's very uh, nice of you to say that and to mention the people you've been consistent all the way through the season when we've spoken to you here on the Big Red Bench about the effort it takes off the court um, of your entire management team to to help decide and help the team. But to win three, trof- three trophies, Mark, is a fantastic return. And I don't know if that's something you would have anticipated at the start of the year. You would have had high ambitions, but to, to cap it off with the Champions Trophy as well, it, it must be a fantastic feeling. Well, it's great. It's great. And again, like it goes back to squad... Um, the depth in our squad and 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 you know the players that the the, the the willingness to just do whatever it takes within the squad was was something to behold this year really um you know we I know we had our stars and we had people that performed on the big stage when it mattered but it was a real real squad and team effort we had different players every week stepping up you know and um like at the start of the season when we kind of when it took a bit of time for the for the team to gel. I thought our, our captain, Anya McKenna, was, was magnificent, as was Casey Grace, you know, the two kind of senior mm. players on the team. And then that gave the rest of the squad a chance to blend in and, 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 and to kind of get into into the rhythm of things. And then, really, it took off from there. And But, like, every month it was somebody different, you know. Every week it was somebody different. And, and it was a real tribute to the players that, that they had that hunger and the desire. You know, I remember us playing one game in particular where we had to play... Um, 
Brunel in the cup semi-final, you know, and we were depleted, you know, we were down to six or seven players for various reasons. Uh, we had one American and um, it was it was an absolute going into the cauldron against them down in UCC and I thought that was the makings of our season, you know, I thought really the younger players stepped up. I know, I know Mia Furlong in particular had a marvellous game that night, but every night it was somebody and when our backs were to the wall, I just thought we found a way to win and that's a great sign of a team. And it's a great sign of their dedication and, and their commitment and their just desire. And I keep saying it, like, but like somebody said to me last week that like, just like your squad, your club, your team, you've great desire to win, you know. But like you only get so many windows in sport mm. and sometimes it clicks into place and you have to take full advantage of it. And I just think this year this team was a special team and it, it took advantage of what was put in front of them. And they made the most of it. And, and you know, I, I can't give them a, a greater compliment than that, really, you know. And that's very fair. And as you've said, you've been consistent as well about the depth of your squad and the different players stepping up at different times of the season, which was crucial to you, considering how talented a squad you had this year, Mark. The fact that Claire Amelia is also receiving an award this weekend from Basketball Ireland as a player of the year must give you even more satisfaction because it takes something special to be the best player on that particular team in that particular club. But Claire, I think, is the word consistency throughout the season for you? Yeah, she's been brilliant. She was she had a fantastic season. She from day one, like when she came in, she she brought the team to another level, you know, every night in training she would like I'd always look at training and, and, and every time you go training it's tough, you know, it's, it's tough for everyone to get there. But Claire would do something every night and you'd just say, geez, you know, like I haven't seen that in a long time and she just has that ability to kind of bring bring players to another level. But in saying that and Claire would be the first to say it like also our Irish players and, and our Americans were so good this year that teams had to focus in on everybody. They couldn't really concentrate on one player or trying to shut down one player because if they did that, somebody else stepped up. And, you know, that made it easier. Not easy, but easier for some of our players and particularly at times for Claire. Now, when we needed her in the big games and when we needed a big shadow, we needed her to do something special. She did that invariably in, in a lot of games. But, um, but you know, it was just, again, I'd say the spread of, the, the spread of scoring in the squad, the depth in the squad. And, and, and then that allowed you know, the likes of Clare to really um, excel when, when needed. But there was times when, I mean, Anya, Carey, you know, Tierney, and, and Clare just went in and, and scored, you know, 15, 16 points each in a, on a given night. And, and that was almost impossible for other teams to deal with, you know. So we're delighted for her. She, she had a spectacular year. She had a really tough year off the court. And to be able to perform and do what she did and how she did it um, was, was just fantastic. Looking back on it now, Mark, how important was it that Carrie Shepherd and Tierney, Tierney Furman fit, fitted in so quickly when they did come in and play for Glanmire? Well, it took a while. As, as I mean, it, it's, it's documented that it took us a while to get the Americans resettled this year. It, it was a tough year from that point of view. After COVID, a lot of people hadn't played for, for like, you know, 16, 17 months. And it was the same for the Americans. Um, and some of them came in and they just weren't ready. They weren't ready because they hadn't played in so long, you know. And for various reasons, one or two of them wanted to go home and so on. So we, we kind of, we had to move above and beyond that. And that was a great tribute to the Irish players because they were able to make Carrie and Tierney really, really feel part of it and really settle in. And we got lucky. We got very lucky with Carrie. She came in. Um, she was brilliant from day one. Brilliant around the team. Brilliant around the club. Uh, just a really good personality and a great player on top of that. 
and she just helped everybody else um, and brought us, you know, again, brought us a, a bit of consistency in that position. And then, um, as as we know, we were down in America and we were really struggling and we got really lucky with Tierney because she had played at a very high level in, in, in Europe. And, um, you know, we like we, we tried to sign her a couple of years ago. We just couldn't afford her. We genuinely couldn't. She she was, she was would be played, have played in some of the bigger leagues in Europe. But at the time, she, the club that she was with was... Um, you know, they they financially they fell they fell apart and they just and she was at a loose end really, and I said, look, why don't you give this a go for a couple of months? We made a deal that if something better came along, I wouldn't stand in her way. And in fairness, when she came here, she she was a real pro. She had you know she had that experience and that know how and you know I don't know how many games she played in the season, maybe fifteen or sixteen. Um, in the end. But in every one of them, she she did something that you know she just took us another level when, when we needed to, you know. So it was great, you know, that they they fitted in and and also they got on very well together off the court, which was good, and they got on great with all their teammates off the court. So that's you know we got lucky there. Um, you know, it's a good testament again to Ronan and Kenneth and the, the homework that we did on the players. Um, you know, as I said, you don't always get it right straight away, but we did eventually, and we kept with it. And it worked out well in the end. So we're delighted with the two of them. It certainly did work out well in the end. A fantastic season for the Address UCC Glenmore, winning the treble, three trophies for yourself. And now the Basketball Ireland Player of the Year in Claremelia and a deserved accolade for the Basketball Ireland Coach of the Year to you, Mark Scannell. Thanks for all your help throughout the season here on the Big Red Bench. You've been absolutely brilliant to us with uh, organising players' interviews and talking to us whenever we, we asked yourself. And look, enjoy the weekend in Dublin. It's well-deserved. And we look forward to talking to you again next season. Thanks, Jaron. Thanks for everything and all the support and the help that we get from, from you know, Red FM because it's very important, again, for our sponsors and for, for the club in general that, that, and that people know that we're there and we're, we're, we're trying to do the best we can to bring on women's basketball as best we can in the, in the, in the city and in the country, you know. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. What a weekend it was for the Cork Camogie minor and under-16 panels who both picked up Munster Camogie titles. I spoke to a delighted Cork under-16 manager, Donny Daly, to talk about his young panel's superb achievement ahead of a tough All-Ireland Championship draw. We followed them throughout the All-Ireland minor championship winning season, so it was brilliant to catch up with the Cork minor manager, Jerry Wallace, after his talented group completed a double by adding the Munster A minor championship to their All-Ireland success and cap off a marvellous year. But first, here is Cork senior camogie manager Matthew Toomey to preview this weekend's Munster camogie final against Clare. Cork senior camogie manager Matthew Toomey has been a very busy man uh, and the run-up to this weekend's Munster camogie final against Clare and that's scheduled for Saturday night at 6 o'clock in Parky Ring. Uh, very busy for him, for his selectors and for his team but uh, thankfully he's taken time out of his very, very hectic schedule to talk to us here on the Big Red Bench. Matthew, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm very good, George. Thank you. Uh, good to hear from you again. It's been a while uh, since we last spoke and that would have been on the same Parky Ring pitch in the semi-final just after beating Waterford to get to this provincial final. Um, I suppose, firstly, that wasn't the ideal performance by any means from your point of view, from your players' point of view. So what has the reaction been like in training since that semi-final win over the data? Yeah, it, it wasn't ideal. Um, we put ourselves in trouble again in the first half display. Um, I, I think we were fairly leggy. We, we had a kind of heavy training schedule up to us. Um, I suppose we had to take the positives out of us. Like, I don't, after going out to 14 players, 
we really kicked on and you know there was kind of a couple of players just really stood up and drove us home which is what we were always at for so we kind of I suppose we like we learned a lot from the game um, through the errors we made and we're, we're just looking at that and kind of we, we trashed it out a good few times and, and you know we rectify things so in that kind of state of things we were happy enough like it's better off happening like that when we lose rather than happening when we lose the match or happening when we win the match rather than when we lose because it's like no, we at least we had a chance to rectify it. Like and look, we're we're still learning. We're we're, we're never going to look for the perfect performance. And, you know, when when the championship really gets going, that's that's when you want to be peaking. Like so, we're just we're still kind of padding along. We're we're really fresh into it. No, as, as well ourselves, and we're trying to bring a different style of play compared to what the lads were used to last year. So this is going to take time. We were well aware of. So I think that still is only our fifth competitive game together. So like we're, we're learning all the time, and we were down a good few players that day as well. So it was great to get other players in there, and you know, put pressure on on the player players coming back as well, which is great. Um, how much does it help you, Matthew, and the selectors uh, to have such a self motivated group of players? I know all inter county players are self motivated, but I've seen uh, firsthand how this particular Cork team. I mean, they just drive each other on. I mean, they drive you in training as much as you drive them. They're, they're incredible. Um, like. You know, as you know, as you said a while ago, it's supposed to time and the commitment into this is, is incredible. Like, but it's, it was probably easier, easier to make for me to make a decision because the players where they are, like they they do drive us on, they like do the demand standards. Like even our coaching people, like especially David, like is blown away by them because you know the way they are. You know, like we've gone training some nights there three hours and they're still ready to keep going. Like you know, he, he's he's in shock with us really like but that's the way they are they're, they're, they're incredible they're fantastic and when, when the chips are down they, they really kind of get each other going even even a couple of players were probably disappointed after the war for this day and they're, they're there to pick them up and kind of help them out and, and guide them which is it's great it helps us an awful lot with that kind of stuff as well Now this weekend it's the lead into the All-Ireland Championship but it's still a trophy it's still a provincial trophy and players will be motivated to try and win it and that's the Munster Championship you played Clare at the very beginning seems like 100 years ago now but you played Clare at the start of the National League up in Cusick Park in the middle of an orange weather warning I remember um, at the time you won 2-6-0-4 that day but because it's so long ago uh, Matthew is there much that you can take from that game even from the opposition from that day or are you just approaching this as freshly and saying look this is a final we've got to perform I, I suppose I suppose 90% we look at ourselves and see where we can improve and all that but like yeah we, like we, that, that day against them you know obviously the conditions were shocking like, but I, I was very impressed with them the way they were running the ball and, and you know their, their work ethic as well was, was huge um, I did get to see the two games against Tipperary there and similar um, like after the first game, it really wasn't a shock last Sunday the way they 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 tore that Tipperary. They couldn't just even when Tipperary came on them at the end, they were very dogged. And we expect nothing less from them. I I I think every like every game from we have now from from Saturday on is going to be the same. I think a lot of teams are going to just come at us, throw everything at us, like because we're probably in paper top two three teams, so they they are all coming for us. Like so, we, we we're kind of. Gauging ourselves up for that, like, but the, the thing with us, I suppose, when you wear the red white jersey, you go out there and you work out. It has to be more than the, the opposition, and, and that is what we've really been most for the last few weeks. Just we have to have more of a work work ethic than anyone else. Yeah, and you certainly have that. Um, and as you said, things are coming together for the Cork Senior Panel. You've been missing quite a lot of players, and they're coming back from injury. You have picked up a couple of other injuries. What's the update in Sarge McCartan and Orla Cronin? Uh, Orla Cronin has trained for the last couple of weeks, um, which is. It's fantastic, like or just her, just all the person herself being around the place is brilliant. She's just a great character, and 
Sasha is, I think she's just got the all clear now, but she will be shy of match fitness, like, but she's back in training. Um, and I think Kleena Healy's the same. Kleena Healy's back doing light running as well, but like, we're hoping in the next two or three weeks we should have everyone um, to, to call on, you know, which is, which is great. And Hannah Looney's due back now as well in about two weeks as well, which is going to be a huge plus as well. Just to come into the panel and just fight for positions because I think, I think you're well aware of the players from last few years as well. Like there's a lot of them after stepping up, which is huge for us. Like, and you know, there's, there's nothing guaranteed. Like, we're, we're kind of thinking with teams all the time, just having a chit chat. Like, and we keep changing week after week, which is it's great. Like, I suppose we want a, de- a definite team, but there's, there's competition for a lot of the places, which is great. Indeed it is. This Saturday evening in Park, you ring the Munster Senior Camogie final between Cork and Clare. Throws in at six o'clock. Um, on behalf of everybody here on the bench, Matthew Toomey, Cork Senior Manager, best of luck to you, your selectors and your team. Thanks very much. Thank you. No, it was a fantastic end to what's been a memorable season for the Cork Camogie Miners when they lifted the Munster um, Minor A title by defeating Clare 216 to six points to add to their All-Ireland uh, t- uh, trophy which won earlier in the season and we're delighted once again for the final time this season to be joined by the successful Cork Minor Manager and that's Jerry Wallace. Jerry, from everybody in the Big Red Bench, congratulations on winning the Munster. Thank you very much indeed, Ger, and thanks to Red FM too for the support during the year. Listen, we're, we're really, really after enjoying yesterday and I've no doubt the girls are enjoying today and the accolades that have followed on um, a fabulous performance from Cork. Uh, for Cork Camogie and for the Cork Camogie fraternity yesterday in Clare, beating Clare on a scoreline of 216 to six points. Um, a tremendous afternoon Camogie played by the girls. The sco- imagine- Sorry, Jerry, I was just going to say, the scoreline suggests she had it easy, but was that necessarily the case? Um, no, it wasn't, Jerry. It was, I suppose it was like every first half in, in Camogie. It was, it was tactical. It was uh, attrition on both sides. Um, but we we asked our girls to 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 uh, to work as hard as they possibly could, and and they surely did. It was a great opportunity last yesterday evening, Joe. We got the team that started the All Ireland final uh, back on the field for the start of the game, so it was fabulous to have all the girls back and available for the match. And like the first half, we scored one nine, and the one nine was from score was from play, Joe. We had no free in that one nine. So that was a fantastic uh, turnaround by us at half time. The goal just coming before half time, but I've got to compliment the team. I've got to compliment the, the forwards, the backs, the midfielders, the subs, and everyone that's involved. We've had a great year, Joe. You certainly have, and you'd be the first to say it. Um, a hearty uh, congratulations as well to your management team, which is comprised of Michael Boland, Ali Hallahan, Brendan O'Driscoll, Orla Hallahan, Lucy Wallace, Raina Power, Paul Griffin. Murray Donovan and John Daly because they um, have helped you immensely and I know you've, you've been very complimentary of them but it's important to mention them here as well Yes Ger, everyone plays a big role and it's, it's just not about myself it's about everyone that's involved we're a close-knit group of people we come together on match day those that are available there's a few of us in that are just overseeing the programme all the time but I cannot but compliment those people they give up their time um, they're there when needed they're there for the good of the girls. They're there for the good of the team. They're there for the good of Cork. Mike Boland is exceptional. He's a Limerick man, but Mike's a great coach. You know, he coached Corsi Rovers to win a county there 12 months ago in the Camogie World. But he's got a fabulous go about him. Very enthusiastic man, Ali. And Brendan O'Driscoll and Orla Hallahan. I can't speak highly of the three of them. 
world actors over the years and lady um, on the match day, you know, before we can go into the dressing rooms, Orla looks after everything to make sure that everything's in order. And then we have two young people with us. We've Lucy, my daughter, and Rihanna Power. And someone said yesterday she or adopt a daughter at this stage, Terry. And like they, along with Paul Griffin, when Paul is available because Paul is self-employed. And when they're available, they do massive work that they do for us, carrying hurleys, making sure water's around the field. You know, every all those small things that stick. Our liaison lady, then Maureen Donovan, is the county chairperson. And Maureen, you know, anything we've asked for during the year from the county board, from the executive, herself, Marion McCarthy there, Mary. Oh, God, every one of them, they've been fantastic. They've been able to help us out. And then John Daly is another gentleman. He's a paramedic. And John travels with us on match day so that we make sure that we have medical assistance there on the pitch if needed. So we have but fabulous team of people. And I suppose, Joe, look, the bigger, te- the bigger team of people that people don't see with us is the, is the parents mm. and the supporters of the team, and in particular the parents. They're the people that we have to give huge credit to. Jerry Wallace and his management team, we brought these girls together, but those girls wouldn't have been there only for their parents, what they've done with them since they've been small kids, and then their clubs. But I think more so the parents, the brothers, the sisters, and the family, they, they deserve great credit today, you know. And... Um, Cork can be very proud of this group of players. It's the second time we've achieved the the, uh, the double or the third time we've been doing it. Um, so it's it's a fabulous achievement to leave your minor grades. Uh, girls leaving the minor grade now, having won in All Ireland and the provincial title in the same year, fabulous achievement for them. And you know, there's a long road ahead of them now, Jar. It's not a, as I said to them in the dressing room at half time yesterday, like you have to have a little bit of adversary in your life. And you can't have everything nice and polite and nice and soft and an easy journey. And I said, that's what minor is about. You'll meet an opposition that, you know, won't lie down to you. You have to be able to get it past them. And in their journeys one forward in life, they'll come across them and they will encounter different things in life that mightn't be as simple as they thought would be or the journey through it mightn't be as easy as it possibly can be. But, like, that's what sport does. It builds good, solid foundation for them and, I think that we've provided a great platform for them. And, uh, yeah, they bought into it, and they were wonderful ambassadors for Cork yesterday. And it brings... Both to, on the field and off the field. Sorry. Right? Yeah, and sorry, that, that, sorry, that, sorry, no, you're right. Sure. Uh, you're, it's a fair point, like, both on and off the field. But what happens now? I mean, a lot of these players are gone out of minor. You'd hope that they'd continue on to the junior and the intermediate and possibly on to the senior. And from your own point of view, Jerry, have you made a decision about what you want to do for next year? Well, I suppose you're right, guys, for two years, so I'm, you know, I'm going to be back next year as the minor manager. I got that cemented there last year when there was a lot of action going on at higher grade than me. Um, well, you haven't had any coat uh, offers from any other coaties or anything like that in the meantime, no? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> I sure listen to the doors always open, you right. <laughs> <laughs> I've been known to travel before, you know. But <laughs> well, we, we just leave that hanging. When we, I walked up, we, we, it, was, it was interesting when I was walking out of the, out of the ground yesterday evening to get to my car with a, one of my colleagues uh uh, a, a member of another county approached me and said, I, I believe and I have rumours that you're heading to a higher position. And I said, well, it, let me know where it is and I'll, I'll answer it for you. No, Joe, I haven't. My, my focus is on Cork and the, on, the young, on the young people uh, being involved here. I asked for two years and I, I'm committing to that and I have committed to that. Mm-hmm. We haven't discussed it, but that's what my... I agree. Going back to your point about these girls, the girls that are leaving, okay, I would love now if we could 
could um, after they go back to their clubs. But coming to the winter months again, if we could put some initiative in place where we could maybe go back and capture some of the girls from the 18, the 19, the 20, the 21, and now this 22 panel that have left minor that are not in in the in the net for for um for any inter county squad at this moment of time here in Cork and create some sort of some sort of a forum or a basis where those girls could be coming and that they could be you know reintroduced back into the inter county scene and see could they see if they are willing to or if they wanted to be part of uh, a county squad at a uh, in 2023. Or would they be able to make a county squad in 2023 again? That's the big challenge for Cork. Like Cork has loads of players, but yes, we have one or two go up now to a higher grade from the team from yesterday. But then there might be six or seven that don't. So we need to make sure that between now and... So they're, they're all at the age of 18, 19. So by the age of 22, we must have given them a fair opportunity to see can they make the, make the pathway to the higher grade. Sure. That's, that means a big challenge for Camogie. Um, because Cork is wonderful players, like, and yesterday proved it again. You know, for the team to score two sixteen, I mean, Clare couldn't get the ball off us for the first fifteen minutes of the second half. I think we we came back out, and we scored one four, and that put the game to bed. Like, but it was a marvelous second half from the girls. Like, they just they were just relentless. The defence was mean. Uh, Clare just you know what is my think, you know. Well. That that's a good summation at the end of a, what's been a very long and successful season for you, Jerry. And look, all I can say is it's been a, a, a real pleasure and a privilege even to see in action that all Ireland final and the way you won it. And to finish off the season by adding the Munster title would have been very easy to down tools and say the job is done. But this this group of players and this management team certainly wouldn't allow that to happen. It's been an absolute pleasure for everybody here on the Big Red Bench to track your progress and to see the success that uh, Cork has enjoyed. And at a time in GEA and all sorts of sports, when success is thin enough on the ground in Cork, it's great to see the minors and the under-16s with Tony Daly and the footballs, football team as well doing so well uh, at the various age grades. So look, you've, you've, you've finally earned a well-earned and rest I think at this stage uh, but I look forward to talking to you again soon uh, and hopefully ahead of next year as well when we'll be looking forward to another uh, hopefully successful Munster minor uh, or Munster and All-Ireland minor campaign Sure listen I, I, I'll be heading to a match next Saturday night as a Munster final I think next Saturday night here in Cork the Cork bogey team we'll be supporting our Cork teams now from here to the end of the season with them as we will with the men's and, uh, and uh, the ladies football like we're Cork people and we support all our teams and we'd love to see all our teams doing what we've achieved over the last few days here. It's brought the end of a fabulous season. Our work starts in November when everyone else is kind of under downtime. We work November, December, January, February, March, April and uh, come into the middle of May and then our season comes to conclusion. The journey has been fantastic. Here. We've, been, we've been absolutely delighted to support the media and make sure that the media is able to report on these girls and that they get as much coverage as possible. That's my job as manager. I've been delighted to have a great relationship with yourself, Reddit FM, and other media partners in promoting the game of Camogie for Cork. I think it's fierce important, sir. I think it's fierce important for the development and the confidence of young women that are going forward into the, into lifestyles, into college, going into seeking careers at work and so forth. Sport is fabulous, sir. Uh, it's not all about success, but it's about being competitive, Jar. And if you're competitive on any given Sunday or any given Saturday, that's all you want. You just want your players to be the best they can and to deliver what they can. And we've been very successful. 
yes, we're all Ireland champions 2022, and we're now the provincial champions for 2022. Kirky Gaboo, Kirky indeed. Enjoy the sangria, Jerry. We'll talk soon. <laughs> we will indeed, Jerry. God bless you. <laughs> Now, Cork under-16s uh, continue their terrific season with a Munster final, under-16A Munster final victory over Tipperary uh, last Friday night, winning on a scoreline of 218-36. to And we're joined now by the manager, Donny Daly. Uh, Donny, congratulations on your provincial success. Hi, Joe. Thanks very much. Um, we previewed the game on the Big Red Bench the previous week. You felt it was going to be a tough, tight game from Tipperary, but uh, your own team were going very well. Um, the fact that you you scored, first of all, 218 in a Munster final, that must have pleased you. Yeah, um, because I said to you, um, last couple of times we spoke, you're, we're scoring well. Uh, we're very, very happy with the return that our, I suppose, from our halfbacks. Uh, midfield and our forwards are giving us like we're scoring you know on average 20 22 scores a game and you know, and it's a, like from a 16 um it was camogie team that's that's actually phenomenal um scoring that like you know we have you know order Kremlin wing back scored a point even daily wing back scored a point if fit midfield scored two points and then every one of our forwards um scored well after that you know so like it's it's the third Giving us a great, great, great returns on the on the wars. Yeah. Um, you weren't surprised by the fact that Tipperary came back at you in the second half. No, I wasn't. Look, we got off to a great start. Um, Louise O'Neill for forward was on fire for the first 10, 10 minutes and caused them an awful lot. Caused the full back line um, for Tip an awful lot of problems, and we got off to a very, very strong start. Um, but look. You're not going to sustain that for for 60 minutes, 65 minutes. Um, Tipperary came back at us in the second half. Um, I, I suppose sometimes psychologically, when you when you kind of have a lot done, or when you're kind of we were 13 points up at half time, when you have a lot done, it's only natural to kind of I suppose take your foot off the pedal. Um, and I suppose that coupled with I suppose the referee. Look, we'll all, and this is nothing against referee. They will always give the the team that's behind the you know the the rubber green or the 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 fifty fifty ball. They'll always get that then. So if there's any any sort of a decision that that is anyway kind of fifty fifty, the Tipperary got us in the second half. So look, um, we expected that, but our our girls really kind of, um, I suppose. They just kept the scoreboard ticking over. Like Kate Finnessy got some great scores in the second half just to keep keep our um I suppose keep keep daylight between us mm-hmm. and Kip. You know, so like yeah, yeah, look they're, they're always gonna come back to us. Um and a big thrill for the players because um, you know, it's a it's a talented thirty player, thirty for thirty two, whatever number of players squad that you have. Um and winning a provincial title is very important. Probably more so for you, Donnie, in this particular age group, because you're heading into such a tough all Ireland uh, qualification group coming up um, in a couple of months. Yeah, yeah look, we have, we have a tough group uh, starting June 26 against Galway um, and then Kilkenny the following week, um, July. So, look, Munster is always, um, I suppose, a gauge for us to see where we are. Um, we play an awful lot of challenge games against senior clubs or against uh, Cork Miners. We don't play 16 teams. So, it gives us a good idea of where we are. Um, and look, we're, look, we are delighted with the way the, the girls are performing. But again, it's you know it's another provincial title. Um, as you said, look, Kennedy girls were 
with us last year. So, mm-hmm. you know, this is their second Munster uh, Championship. Um, and like, you need that experience because, you know, the 10, the ten of those, or nine of those 10 girls with success in Keeley Cooling, or our captain who was injured, um, played last year. So, it's, it's, we have a strong, a strong team, a strong panel, sure. um, a lot of experience there. Uh, and then like, getting, getting over Munster does, does give us that kind of springboard in for, for uh, all Ireland um, games in the next month or so. Um, yeah, as you said, there's a bit of a gap now to the next game to start of next month. But for your your management team, John Malone, Mossy Sullivan, uh, Colette O'Neill, Roberta Crowley, Stephen O'Mahony, Michelle Gould, and whoever else is involved, I imagine this is still going to be a busy time for you because you're going to have to keep tabs on players. I know they've got exams, but just keep things ticking over and kind of get that ba- getting that balance right of the training and how much you need to do and don't need to do with such a gap, Donny. I know you've experienced and you've got a great record over the last four or five years with Cork Camogie, but I would imagine that's probably a difficult thing to do still. Yeah, it is. Look, this is a kind of we're in kind of no man's land now for the next kind of couple of weeks. But you know, we, like the girls are off for a week, we give them the whole week off again, recharge their batteries, get back to the club, do you know, rest, recuperate, um, and we'll be back next Sunday. And we've we've six weeks, six Sundays, uh, so we can we've eighteen sessions uh, between now and uh, and the Sunday before the the Galway game. Um, we obviously then there's you you examine two weeks of exams um, stuff in the middle of that where we and we still train away we you know to be non non contact we you know we we work on the skills and, and you might believe this Joe, like we have done very little skill work uh, and camogie work with these girls it has been all really kind of strength and conditioning um you know strength strength work fitness and and uh, I suppose really getting getting their legs and bodies built up for the the, the, the coming championship, and now and now is a kind of the time for working on their skills um, and touches. So look, yeah, like it's it's it'll be a strange couple of weeks, but look, we're, we're used to it, and we we, we know what we're doing. We, we've attempted at this stage. We've we've done it for the last four or five years, um, and we keep we we keep that. Um, we will do one or two maybe bonding days. We will bring girls away. We'll have a bit of crack, um, and that's all. You know, that's all packed as well. You know, it's not all about. Um, you know, killing and during during training, uh, we'll have a bit of crack over the next next five six weeks. I have no doubt with you in charge that that is going to be the case, but it's a, it's a well-earned uh, distraction, I think, from all the hard work that's been put in, not just in the last few weeks, but by you and your entire management team to get this under-16 Cork panel to where they are. So congratulations once again, Donny Daly, on Cork winning the Munster under-16A final, beating Tipperary 218-36 in Kilmallock last week. We look forward to keeping in touch with you ahead of what's going to be a hectic period once it starts in the All-Ireland Championship. Well done again, man. Thanks, Jar. Thanks for talking again, Stu. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench, Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m., Cork's Red FM.